the laws that cover this kind of thing? Do we need additional laws? And where does the First Amendment come in with us to talk about this topic is one of the country's most prominent legal experts on the First Amendment, defamation and technology issues, Skokie's own, Ari Cohn. He's a Karen Conti show regular now. He serves as free speech counsel at Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank devoted to these issues. Ari, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me back. So first of all, for people like me who are, I'm just a non-techie, is it is it possible to trace where these images originated in order to figure out who did it and perhaps punish the person who did it? Well, in that sense, it's no, not really much different than any other image posted on the Internet in terms of tracing uh, who posted it. And there's difficulties that can come up with that. Uh, the real difficulty is in figuring out when something is a deep fake or when it isn't. And there's still not really a good way to do, do, to do that. Wow. Uh, so what are the laws on the books now that make these kinds of things? Well, first of all, are, is doing something like that, actually taking somebody, somebody's likeness, uh, you know, superimposing, you know, pornographic uh, images uh, and posting it online? Is there something uh, illegal, criminally illegal about that? Well, some states, many states now have uh, revenge porn laws about distributing non-consensual uh, sexually explicit imagery. And it's not always clear whether those laws will apply to deep fakes because they do require an actual image of someone engaging in something. And if you could say, well, that's not actually a real image of it, there's an open question as to whether the laws will apply. And it's a good argument that they will, but it's a, a very open question in the courts right now. Um, some states have actually passed laws explicitly criminalizing uh, non-consensual deepfake pornography, but those are still very nascent. So what about if somebody posted those, the same thing that were, that were being posted, the pornographic images, but they had a message on the, po- on the postings saying, this is fake? D- and, you know, giving people a heads up that, yeah, this is what it looks like, but it's not real. Does that take away the criminal liability? Um, I think in, under the Minnesota law, I believe it wouldn't. Um, I believe it's not whether or not uh, you're claiming that it's real. It's just that uh, the state thinks that it is so damaging for people to even think about doing something like that. that even if you label it as fake, um, it's still against the law. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. And so let's just take something that's non-pornographic. And we've all seen these. We've seen the Donald Trumps and the Joe Bidens talking in a speech. And, you know, you know, they're not really saying it. And, and some of them are very entertaining and and uh, and, and, and disturbing because they, they're so real. They're so absolutely real. So, you know, when it's that kind of thing, does that step it down when it comes to the illegality of it? Uh, so actually, uh, since you mentioned that, the Minnesota law actually, in the same exact law that regulates the non-consensual deepfake porn, also regulates deepfakes intended to impact elections, uh, and including the things you just talked about. And that's a much bigger problem from a First Amendment perspective. You can understand the argument that in vanishingly small circumstances, would there ever be a legitimate reason to create deepfake porn of someone? On the other hand, when you're talking about political speech, there's a ton of reasons why, uh, you know, AI-generated deepfakes of somebody saying something uh, could have actually valuable uh, impacts. You could use it to, say, characterize what, what you think your opponent believes uh, and just put the words in mouth. Or you could make a deepfake of them saying words that they wrote 
but didn't actually speak. And I'm not sure there's a great harm in that. So this to me, though, as much as, you know, as much as I, I could see where you're heading with this, that that, you know, you don't want your public officials to be misconstrued because our ability to vote for who we think is the better candidate depends on, you know, media and depends on getting the facts straight and get, depends on accurate reporting. On the other hand, isn't some of this just parody? Isn't this just like, you know, you hear a, a song that someone inserts different words and, you know, or, or someone who's just imitating? I mean, they just had, um, you know, you watch Saturday Night Live and you have the uh, Alec Baldwin impersonating Donald Trump. And, you know, you, you know, it's not him, but it's funny and whatever. But, you know, when does that cross the line? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be clear, there have already been complaints that this this is a deep fake use in this ad. I never said those words in that time. And it turns out that, like I just mentioned, like they had actually given that exact those exact words in answer to a written interview. Um, So the words are actually theirs. They just never spoke them out loud in that fashion. And. To complain about that uh, is so missing the point of everything. Um, it, that that, is, that does not pose a problem. That actually gets more information out there in a way that maybe is more understandable to people. And you also have to have room to poke fun at power. Uh, you know, that is something central to the First Amendment is that, you know, we allow people to, you know, take the piss out of politicians, basically. Yeah, I mean, I just would hate to be in, in a situation where we can't do that. On the other hand, you know, you don't want to... You and me both. You don't want the, the, uh, you don't want the electric to be conned uh, into believing something that's just not true, which I think we're seeing more and more now with the polarization of the media, where you watch one station, there's one set of facts, and you watch, watch another station, and there's a whole other set of facts. And uh, I think people... People, I don't think people are, you know, I, I don't know that they know facts anymore because they're being told two different things. But that kind of raises the question is, do they believe it because it's believable or do they believe it because it's what they already wanted to believe? I'm not sure it's any more believable just because it's a deep fake if it's just confirming their, their bias already. They're already predisposed to believe that. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how much damage the AI part is actually doing. Um, so... What about it, just an average person? So let's, let's take it away. It's not a politician. It's just, uh, you know, it's the average Joe. And someone says, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a deep fake about him. I'm going to put his face on. I'm going to have him saying all kinds of things about his mother and about his employer and, and all of that. D- is that a different matter because he's not a public figure? Or is it the, should it be the same analysis? Uh, it does make a difference. And, uh, you know, when it, when that person ultimately brings a defamation claim, there'll be a much lower standard of fault required. Um, and that's rightfully so. That person, they haven't put themselves out there in the you know, public sphere, um, and they lose their job because you made a deep fake of them trash-talking their employer. Um, you know, they could rightfully sue you for defamation for that. Let's uh, take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about civil liability, not that Tyler Swift needs to file a lawsuit to make any more money. She's a billionaire uh, over again. And uh, we're talking to Ari Cohn. He's the expert in First Amendment and technology. And you're listening to The Karen County Show on WGN. Ari Cohn, he is a defamation, First Amendment, uh, technology issues, uh, concentrates his practice in these areas. He serves as Free Speaks Counsel for Tech Freedom, a nonprofit uh, think tank. Um, 
Ari, let's talk a little bit about, we're talking about the Taylor Swift AI images uh, that were circulated. And the I think the Swifties were very angry and supportive of their uh, their idol and uh, did some things to try to uh, make it hard to, to, to look at those things. And finally, they were taken down. We talked about criminal liability uh, for posting these types of things. Let's talk about civil liability. What conceivably could, if Taylor Swift found out who did this, what would be the causes of action? What would what could she allege that these books that are already on the books, the causes of action that we have, for the most part, I mean, it's obviously it's state to state, but what are the general causes of action? Yeah, she could probably assert all of defamation, uh, false light invasion of privacy, intentional infliction of emotional distress, uh, perhaps even a right of publicity claim, especially if the the images were used for any kind of commercial purpose. So let's go. Let's talk about false light a little bit. What what a lot of people don't quite understand what that means. Yeah, it's a slightly different tort than defamation uh, in that you don't have to actually show that the whatever the statement was is false, just that it was misleading and the impression that somebody got would be false and highly objectionable to a reasonable person and you know, made with reckless disregard for the truth. So it's a little bit easier of a list than defamation, and it covers instances where you just you made someone look away to other people that is extremely offensive and just untrue. And, you know, we had the example in law school where you had a person's face on a newspaper article and it said convicted felon, you know, serving 20 years in jail. And it wasn't there, you know, it, it, maybe it was the lawyer who handled it. And so it looked like this guy was the was the felon. And, you know, again, it, there was no false statement. So it's not really de- de- defamation, but it certainly put the person in a false light. Um, right. And and I think that would probably be the best action for her if she chooses to do this. And what, what about invasion of privacy? And we talked a little bit about this when you were last on the show. When does someone have a right to privacy with this day and age of cameras everywhere, of social media all the time? And if you're Taylor Swift, do you have any uh, expectation of privacy? And when does that line get crossed? Yeah, you know, I think that when you're when you're a celebrity, you do lose a lot of the expectations of privacy. But I do think that most people, most judges would likely agree that your right to privacy in your these intimate affairs and your sexual affairs that you keep private, um, I mean, you just you don't lose that just by virtue of being a celebrity. Now, it's interesting to think about whether or not your privacy itself has been invaded by something that is not real. Um, is that, you know, how does that paradigm work? It's, it's a, we'll be seeing a lot of really interesting questions in the coming years. So let me just throw this out here. Back in, uh, you know, years ago, there were certain celebrities who had sex videos online, um, and they were real. They were real. And maybe they were responsible even for putting them out, um, thinking that it might enhance their their celebrity. Let's just say, this is not Taylor Swift, but let's just say that she had sex videos out there before. And then this deep fake uh, was put out. Would that change the way that she could bring the lawsuit because she actually put herself out there in that compromising position to begin with? If you put yourself out there, you have a harder time, I think, proving that it actually damaged you. I would think. And that's an ultimately the, you know, the, the end crux of any uh, lawsuit is, well, how are you harmed? Right, right. Well, do you... Uh, 
how would you see this going down? Like, so for instance, you know, all these Swifties came to her aid. They were protective of her. Um, I think, you know, is there some idea that this actually put her in a better light because it gave her more celebrity? It gave her more, um, I don't know. I mean, I've heard people say this, and as I'm saying it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, anybody who is, you know, whose image is being changed and and is, you know, without clothes on and doing different things, that's just, it's offensive and it's horrible. But is there some idea that that the argument would be that this enhanced her reputation? You know, in a lot of defamation and similar cases, there there are sometimes that arguments work I, I would tell you I would hate to be the lawyer who tries to convince a judge or a jury with a straight face right. that my client's fake porn of this person actually helped them. Um, that, but even beyond that, though, there's also the issue of if it caused her you know, emotional distress, it caused her to have to, say, you know, seek mental health counseling or you know, she lost sleep and was unable to function because she was so perturbed by it, whether or not it gave her more celebrity doesn't mitigate those damages. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't really cut it off. It's not, that's not going to work. And it's actually interesting because, you know, historically calling someone basically sexually promiscuous, a woman sexually promiscuous, is so obviously harmful that you don't even have to prove damages. And we've moved back a little bit from that because it's also, it removes a bit of agency and it's a, a little bit patriarchal. Um, so there's that this, this weird tension that has been over the history of defamation law uh, that you know might make it a little bit more difficult, but not hard by any stretch for her to show damages in this case. And this is a little off topic, and it's something we spoke about last time you were on the show. You may recall that uh, man who uh, Chicago man who sued 27 mm-hmm. women. Uh, there was a website called Are We Dating the Same Guy? And some of the women said things about him, that he was clingy, that he was a psycho, that he ghosted them. And he brought a defamation lawsuit against the 27 women and the website. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I just think is so interesting about these defamation cases is that by bringing them, you bring more attention to some of the statements and some of the allegations um, that, yep. that that never would have caused, you know, come to the light of day. And, you know, I think we saw that in, in this case, right? Yeah, and I think that Taylor Swift probably has lawyers who are good enough to go over the Streisand effect with her. Um, guarantee you she does. But I also Tell me the Streisand effect again. Of, what is the Streisand effect? Go, uh, go, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, Barbara Streisand tried to get pictures of her unpublished, basically, uh, pictures of her, you know, cliffside Malibu house compound. Uh, and as a result of her dogged legal efforts to get those pictures removed, many, many millions more people than otherwise would have saw the pictures. Uh, so it really backfired. Uh, but I think that Taylor Swift is probably so visible and so in the news right now that I'm not even sure she's poss- it's possible for her to strike and affect herself because she's already front and center everywhere. Yeah. Well, and I have to tell the joke. I did see it on Facebook. It said the groundhog didn't see his shadow, and now we have two more weeks of Taylor Swift. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. Um, so let's let's go back to this 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 deep fake. Um, now, just could Taylor Swift sue? Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, uh, because they allowed this content to be on their site. Is that is that something they're immune from, or is that something that she could craft some sort of legal argument? 
Generally speaking, no. Um, she could not sue uh, Twitter because other people posted them. They are, Twitter is immunized for content posted by third parties and created entirely by third parties. The more interesting question is whether she could sue the AI tool creator. Uh, oh. That's a really wide open question. So tell me how that would work. What would that look like? So, you know, Section 230 protects uh, only uh, service providers that are not responsible in whole or in part for whatever makes the content tortious. And there's an argument out there, and it's not crazy, that because AI tools create brand new content out of nowhere, that they are responsible, at least in part, for why that content is tortious. And, you know, that's not insane. But there's also the question of whether we want to hold AI tool creators liable for the purposeful bad acts of the users who instructed the machine to give them the defamatory content. Um, it's a big policy question. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, any any mechanism can be used for something nefarious, I suppose. And 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 we want yep. we want to encourage AI. We, we I would think we want to encourage um, technology. And when you make things illegal or, or give people the right to sue over that, it seems like it would sort of damper uh, put a damper on on um, that sort of technology. Yeah, if we think that we can successfully legislate or sue our way into preventing anybody from ever doing a bad thing with a tool, we're out of our minds. What, uh, you know, you work for this think tank that's devoted to technology and uh, First Amendment issues. Where do you see, uh, where do you see the First Amendment at this point in our history? Are we, are we, is it narrowing um, in a bad way? Is it being expanded because we have all these platforms with all this speech on it? What do you think being really close to this issue is the future of the First Amendment? You know, the First Amendment doctrinally has actually remained relatively stable for a fairly long period of time. We haven't added new exceptions. We haven't walked exceptions back a staggering amount. As a matter of law, uh, I think that the First Amendment is in a pretty solid place. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is a cultural backlash against First Amendment values, and that worries me a bit. Uh, We see legislators saying, well, this kind of speech shouldn't be protected, and that's usually somewhat self-serving. Or, hey, I don't care if this law that I'm proposing violates the First Amendment. That's not my problem. I think, you know, there there ought to be a law, and I'm going to try and push it one way or the other. So, you know, hopefully the courts can remain a, a bulwark against that kind of thing. But we are seeing a little bit of teeter-tottering over whether or not the First Amendment is really, quote-unquote, worth it anymore. Uh, and that's disturbing. Yeah, I, I heard uh, I heard someone say to me, an intelligent person say, that Taylor Swift, you know, she did, she did something to encourage her her loyal people to, to sign up to vote, which is a, is a wonderful thing, right? Tell young people to, to sign up to vote. I mean, how could you be more yeah. American than that? And this intelligent person <laughs> said that she should be sued or prosecuted because all of these people are going to be Joe Biden uh, support supporters. And and I'm thinking to myself, since when does, does that become something that's actionable or illegal? Because e- even if she said vote for Joe Biden, which I'm not sure she did, voting it seems to be to be a right that we all have and we should all we should all exercise. If Donald 
Should we be able to sue Donald Trump for saying vote for Donald Trump? I, I, I guess crazy, not. Tom. I guess I would like to. I should have asked her that question. I was a little too stunned when she said it. Ari Cohn, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're in California. I know that you are uh, a busy person, and I really appreciate you joining us. Anytime. All right. You take care.